welcome to the show Talking with Frankie. We have in studio Father Gordon Rickson, who is a Jesuit. Father Gordon is a teacher of systematic theology at Regis College. He's a research scholar at the Lonegan Research Institute and a past member of the Institute Board of Directors. Father Gordon served on the Board of Directors of Convenant House, Toronto, from 2001 to 2015 and represented the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops of the Church's Council on Theological Education. He served as Dean of Regis College from 2005 to 2014. Today is such an honor to welcome him in studio to talk about Ignatian spiritual exercises. By the way, Father Gordon was my teacher. He taught me foundation of theology and grace. So, Father Gordon, how are you? Well, it's great to be here with you, Frankie. It's good to see that uh, my students are going along and uh, going into the world of communications to share all the things they've learned uh, in life in that college. Okay, thank you. So today we're going to talk about Ignatian spiritual exercises. I prefer to say Ignatian spiritual exercises because some people used to talk about Jesus spiritual exercises. Even though Ignatius of Loyola, as the founder of, of the Society of Jesus, wrote the spiritual exercises, they are for the universal church. So, Father Gordon, what are the spiritual exercises? Well, I think uh, when you say they're for the universal church, it's really a good starting point because uh, when Ignatius went through this process of spiritual growth and development himself, he wanted to share the process with other people. And really, the first people uh, he chose to share it with were lay students uh, that he met at universities right. in Europe. Mm -hmm. And he was... Uh, uh, wanting to introduce to them a set of spiritual practices that would help them become more aware of their own interiority and the desire that they have to be uh, to discover God in their life and to learn how to cooperate with the invitation of God, the offer of discipleship, the deepening of their identity, uh, and the sense of receiving a mission to give direction to their life. Okay, so I know there are two main concepts in Ignatian spirituality. They are consolation and desolation. But it can be very confusing to understand what does that mean. Can you explain that? Um, sure. And actually, because they're confusing, mm -hmm. and sometimes because language can get in the way, Yeah. Uh, when I'm uh, directing people, when I first introduce Ignatian spirituality to people, mm -hmm. I actually try to avoid using technical terms for a long time. Okay, so you try to explain that and... Well, in a sense, what I do is I invite people to pay attention okay. to the movements of their spirit. When are they encouraged? When are they discouraged? When do they feel the, uh, life and vigor is growing in their lives? When do they feel distant and alien from God? So that people learn through experience. Okay. What are the, the moments uh, where they begin to get real clarity that their life is moving towards deeper union with God? And what are the times of confusion or alienation? And then when people have kind of discovered in their own biography okay. uh, what these key moments are, then I introduce the ideas of consolation and desolation uh, and relate it to things that they have already noticed and experienced in their lives. Okay. And the language then begins to give greater clarity and sharpness to it. But the real key and the difficulty sometimes with language is it can be a smokescreen that actually keeps us from noticing our experience. Right. And the key here is to begin to notice the interior movements of affectivity, thoughts, feelings that bring us towards God and that perhaps leave us at other times distant from God. And then we can add the words mm -hmm. that give expression to that. Yeah. Consolation, 
times of growing closer to God yeah. and desolation, times of feeling uh, the felt absence of God or a distance from God. Okay. Yeah, so in the spiritual exercises number 322, uh, they talk about three principles, reasons for why we are in desolation. So the first one is regarding our laziness and responsibilities before God. And so to our own fault, spiritual desolation withdraws from us. And the second one is God may try to test our wealth and how far we may go in his service and praise when we are without consolation and special graces. And the last one, God wishes to give us true knowledge and understanding concerning consolation as a gift and grace of God our Lord. Any thoughts on those three points? Well, I guess the first thing I would say is that in a way, um, every desolation okay. eventually will become a consolation. Because when we recognize desolation, when we recognize, I think the, the, uh, the insight there is once you recognize desolation, okay. it's almost like at that moment you've already turned a little bit oh, yeah. and you're heading back towards God. Mm-hmm. Sometimes to recognize one of those reasons, one of those things that separated us from God, uh, even if it is to hold that experience with the new perspective of sorrow or desire to repent or desire to set in a new direction, it's almost like when we remember it from that different perspective, mm-hmm. it's already bringing us closer to God as we turn and then uh, see that God perhaps has been with us all that time inviting us for transformation to deepen our love and our commitment uh, to grow in greater union with God through that moment of uh, confusion, uh, desolation, distance, to discover that God is with us and that we're called in a deeper way into a new union with God. So, Father Gordon, what is a false consolation? Well, a false consolation uh, can be the sense that, uh, you know, we often tell uh, Jesuit novices that, you know, sometimes we discover our consolations are our desolations and our desolations are our consolations. Exactly. When <laughs> I was a novice, I remembered had all those teaching. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think the, the point there is sometimes, you know, we really think we've got it all right and we're doing uh, you know, God's will and we're working in the world exactly. in the right way. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, a little bit of ego slips in or mm-hmm. something else so that we realize on in perspective and maybe with a bit of embarrassment. Mm -hmm. Um, And in some sense, this is the story that Ignatius told in his autobiography, that he kept discovering as much as he wanted to center his life on Christ, that he managed to slip into the center himself. Exactly. So that ego can slip in um, and we forget the very good lesson that all our mothers teach us when we're young, that we're not the center of the universe. And we have a little tendency to kind of keep recentering uh, it's like the GPS that recenters, but rather than recentering on God, sometimes we recenter on ourselves, and for at least a short period of time, that can seem pretty attractive. And so, in a sense, that's a fa- false consolation, and the decisions we make in a time of false consolation tend not to be the best decisions. Yeah, I asked you this question because I remember when I was a novice, I, when I I did the the thirty days spiritual exercises of Ignatius of Loyola. So sometimes I, I come to the novice master as so so happy, so I am like in consolation, but he, he helped me to, to understand that was a false consolation. And I had to try to find God, to find the meaning of what I was doing, 
so so that I can reach the the true consolation in that. So for me, this is a very important point. Sometimes we can think that we are in consolation, but when we start to understand the reason, it can be false consolation. And a wise spiritual director, mm-hmm. uh, you know, often all they do is they ask a question. Exactly. And it's a, a real good insight because you always want to help the other person develop their agency. Yeah. You want to help them uh, enter into their own personal relationship with God. Mm-hmm. So the, the key to being a good spiritual guide or a, someone who accompanies others is to have this profound sense of respect and trust that God will deal directly in the life of the person who's who's desiring to grow in the spiritual life mm-hmm. and that the spiritual director simply asks questions yeah. and help draws people's attention to those interior movements mm-hmm. so they are empowered to do their own discernment to interpret them and to make their own decisions that flow out of that. Yeah. So the 30 days spiritual exercises is, the, is like four weeks. So what is the specificity of each week? Um, when we see the process of the spiritual exercises. Sure, and you got to think of it, the way I think of it is a series of cascading experiences. Okay. So that what happens in the first week when we discover uh, that we are forgiven, that we're forgiven sinners, mm-hmm. called into discipleship, so we deepen our identity as a sinner who is forgiven, but still called uh, to be a disciple. And as we move into the second week, mm-hmm. we're trying to grow in intimacy. And the beauty of the second week, I, often um, I think of the two standards exercise, mm-hmm. which was one of the exercises that Ignatius asked people to pray with. And, it, and he asked people to attend to the tendency we do have to kind of uh, lack freedom okay. um, as we're going to respond to this call. So it's a, the second week, Grace is by contemplating uh, the public mysteries of uh, Jesus' life is that we deepen our freedom and okay. our availability mm-hmm. to receive mission from Christ. Okay. So, for instance, there's a lovely, lovely exercise called the two standards Yeah. Uh, where there's, um, in a sense, Ignatius calls our attention to two movements. And I think that the uh, difficult or the negative movement, the desolating movement, first is the easiest to get hold of. Can we communicate that with the discernment of the spirits? For sure. And what it's doing Mm -hmm. is it's helping us uh, deepen uh, to go beyond just the first uh, appearance of of discernment and to begin to deepen that by paying attention to how if we center our life Mm -hmm. on something that is not God, if we center our life on something that is finite, then we begin to tell a lie. And what, what happens when we tell a lie is we look to other people to give us honor, to sort of bolster us up in our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, when you've told a lie and you're now dependent upon other people supporting you in it, maybe you want them to admire your job or your car yeah. or something uh, to reinforce that putting something finite in the center of your life, then, of course, you're vulnerable. If they re- withdraw their honor, exactly. then you're in big trouble. Yeah. So then what's the next movement? And you can see how it's deepening that sense of distance and alienation because then you want to isolate yourself in pride to create a barrier, to create the illusion that you're not dependent on other people. And in contrast to that, mm-hmm. what Ignatius invites us to do is to live our life in vulnerability, to really experience poverty to know that the center of our life is focused on God and that God is a complete gift, that we don't control God, that we receive God's gift in complete freedom. So in a sense, we are poor, 
and vulnerable before God's love. And how can we live that in today's society? It's like very challenging. Well, and I think it is. And in a sense, then, if you if you see how that develops, mm-hmm. there is a great risk yep, that you exactly. will experience <laughs> humiliation. Yeah. Because society often, um, you know, as society is living in uh, the sense of the honor and the pride, yep. someone who lives in poverty and vulnerability could find themselves humiliated. Exactly. But in that humiliation, as difficult as it is, mm-hmm. is a great gift of freedom. So that you then have the freedom to be united closely with Christ, and you can live in humility. And when you live in humility, in deep union with Christ, in a sense then, uh, you can't be touched by uh, that humiliation. You can't be touched by being marginalized or pushed away. You are no longer controlled by society. You have a beautiful freedom where you can give witness to your love and in freedom develop that sense of your mission Mm -hmm. and how you can uh, be a witness of that for other people to share that joy, to share that freedom, to share that love in a way that really is transformative. It is incredibly attractive and I think deeply, deeply desired by people in our society today. So if I understand, like, Christ is the source of freedom because there is source of freedom in Jesus Christ. is like the faith on, in Jesus Christ and then it's not like the possibility to do whatever I want but it's try to understand the reason why we are created and then try to find that meaning in Jesus Christ in God well and in a sense that's, that's exactly correct mm-hmm. because what happens then is then the second week you've deepened in this relationship with Christ mm-hmm. you've gone on mission with Christ mm-hmm. and then of course the third week yeah. is a sense of to share the passion of Christ uh, to realize that to follow Christ does come at a cost, mm-hmm. but that Christ in pouring out his love for us on the cross to shed his blood in a way that then washes sin away from the world, mm-hmm. uh, to share uh, in that passion really is this incredible privilege uh, that allows uh, love to pour out in service of others. And then in the fourth week mm-hmm. is to discover the consolation of the resurrection uh, so that I remember as a novice mm-hmm. uh, praying the uh, the fourth week. When at, was that? Because uh, Frankie, that <laughs> was <laughs> that was a little while ago. It <laughs> may have been before you were born. Yeah, I was a novice in 2009, from 2009 to 2011. Yes, and I was a novice in the last millennium. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And and the the thing about this is that when you're in that experience of the of the fourth week, okay. I remember as a as a young Jesuit, maybe twenty years old at the time, mm-hmm. that I was waiting for all this wonderful uh, sense of light and uh, joy and everything, and it, it didn't happen that way. Okay. And when I made the exercises the second time, mm-hmm. what I realized was that the grace of the second of the fourth week of uh, this uh, wonderful experience of the resurrection, mm-hmm. it's still the image I had was of the slain lamb standing, that the wounded Christ is risen, but is still present to the world um, as he bears the wounds of the cross. And it's a beautiful way. It's almost like you flip a coin mm-hmm. from the third week to the fourth week and mm-hmm. back. It's a, a, a consolation that is a very realistic presence to the world as it continues the struggle. Yeah. That Christ, as risen, walks with us. And if we've had the experience maybe of despair and darkness, um, once we have the light of the resurrection, even if we struggle again, mm-hmm. it's never the same because we know that ultimately Christ uh, holds all struggle 
in the in the glory and the light of the resurrection, and that this will bring us uh, freedom and a consolation and bring a healing to the world that is not uh, creating some sort of a, um, a utopia off in the distance. Mm-hmm. It is actually present here right now as Christ walks with us and helps us to carry the burden of life. But Father Gordon, I think all what you said fit into the spiritual exercises number uh, 23, the fun- principle and foundation, and then the reason for why we are created. Can you explain that a little bit? Because Sure, and uh, I usually uh, pull out three points from the principle and foundation. Okay. The first is to really profoundly acknowledge that we are creatures. Yeah. We're not God. We're not the creator. Exactly. We are the creature. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, that moves our hearts with with a spirit of gratitude. Mm -hmm. Um, The second uh, dimension of the the principle and foundation um, really is uh, to appreciate that everything we have being gift, all our gifts, all our talents, um, we pray that we will always use them uh, uh, for the betterment of our our mission to to serve God. Mm so that we wouldn't prefer one gift over another. Mm-hmm. And this can be kind of a hard thing to think of. Um, and maybe this is where it's really good to remember that this is an exercise, mm-hmm. not to prefer health or sickness, life or death, not to, because we don't value those wonderful gifts, yeah. but that we want to have the freedom to use them for God. And that's, for us as human beings, something that we're always kind of growing more and more able to use our gifts out of freedom. And that if we sometimes struggle uh, to acknowledge our creaturehood and if we struggle uh, to really be free in the use of our gifts and not put ourselves in the center then I think the third point the point of praise reverence and service really does help uh, in the sense of create that uh, commitment to serve even if we stumble on the path Mm -hmm. that we keep showing up that we keep serving God that we do our best um, and continue to grow on our way right so in what sense, Father God, on, uh, the spiritual exercises can be an important tool for Pope Francis Lauda to seek care for the common, common home? Well, I think, um, you know, uh, Pope Francis has just a, an amazing insight that yeah. when we're living in a world that's really fragmented, yeah. where um, each of us, uh, maybe from where we come from, we think of our own identity, we think of our own culture, we think maybe of our own privilege, um, that in a society where we're, we're experiencing a lot of fragmentation, a lot of populism, the profound insight in Laudato Si mm-hmm. is that we're part of a project that's bigger than ourselves. Okay. And, uh, you know, there's this reorientation, so we're not focused on ourselves, but that we're focused on uh, the bigger project, even if we just think of it in the simple terms of caring for our common home. And that... Uh, having the sort of the reorientation and to think then that this is a mission that all people can share. Yeah, right. And in a sense then there's a common purpose um, that the principles of the spiritual exercises mm-hmm. actually then help us to pursue that mission. Right. The mm-hmm. mission of caring for the world, the care for creation, mm-hmm. um, and that we, uh, by being on that path mm-hmm. with a common mission, we can begin to grow and develop spiritually so that we can be better apostles of caring for the gift of God's creation. Okay, uh, Ignatius talks about finding God in all things. How can we find God in today's society? Well, I think the the first thing Mm -hmm. is to be profoundly aware 
that uh, what we experience in the world is ultimately gift. Okay. You know, um, I've been teaching a course called The Foundations of Theology for many years. And I took that class last semester. And, you know, you were one of many cohorts <laughs> that have done that. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'd just, I just like to answer your question by noticing what has happened over, I think I've been teaching it for 25 years. Okay. And at first... There are a lot of changes and uh, doing all those period of time? At first, <clears throat> the students were struggling uh, because they had known no change in the church. Oh, okay. And then after the Vatican Council, mm-hmm. uh, they were trying to figure out how how do I deal with change? Okay. And then uh, another younger crowd came along again, and they knew nothing but change in their life. Okay. And they did not have a sense of how they could be part of a project bigger than themselves. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if history lost all meaning and direction that life was full of uh, change and episodes, but no sense of plot and movement. And then another generation comes along and that they really struggle. So in one sense, those first two generations really struggled with a sense of change over time. Right. And how to find in all the difference that comes with change, Mm -hmm. how to find union with God, who is one. Okay. But then uh, another generation came along um, who are now very aware of pluralism and the mm-hmm. sense of all the richness of the peoples, of the diverse peoples in the world. Um, and for them, they experience that as a problem. How do you evangelize and share the word with all people of all these different uh, uh, languages and cultures? And as a teacher, how did you deal with all those? Well, the, the, the fourth group, uh-huh. then, and it's a big shift, and I think it's the, the group that your generation is part of. So it's so like the modern generation. The, the, the <laughs> contemporary generation. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's been a shift where no longer do people see pluralism as a problem. Yeah. They see pluralism as a gift. Exactly. That in the diversity of languages and exactly. the diversity the of culture, cultures, yeah. that this is an amazing gift, yeah. that there's so many different ways that the fullness of the gospel can be received into the world it will take every language, every culture to receive all the richness of the gospel. And you, I remember you focus a lot in about the, understand the context in the proclamation of the gospel. And for, for you, and then it's very important, it's critical to communicate that message to people. And every, every context, every language has mm-hmm. a special gift yeah. with which to receive the gospel. Mm-hmm. And even sometimes if it's the own history in the culture, of transformation and forgiveness and healing that it brings again a unique dimension of the gospel mm-hmm. uh, to light that can then be shared with the rest of the world. And so I think in the contemporary uh, younger generation, mm-hmm. this beautiful appreciation of diversity, of creation, of the world as in the first instance gift. Mm-hmm. And then I think the struggle is how to find my identity in the midst of that. Yeah. And there's a real invitation to each of us, I think, to grow and deepen in our identity. And I think the spiritual exercises are one of the great resources and tools that allow us to deepen that identity in a way that really is grounded in our context, in our culture, in our language, in a way that we can discover how God is present in our lives and develop a sensitivity to recognize and receive and appreciate how God is in the presence of other people, mm-hmm. sometimes who are very different from me, 
that would bring a dimension of the gospel and its healing message to light in a way that together we could give a tremendous witness to the breadth and depth and bounty of God's love. What does contemplation in action really mean for a Jesuit or for in, in Ignatian spiritual exercises? Well, or Ignatian uh, spirituality? And, and I think, uh, as you were saying there, I think mm-hmm. you're, you've got it quite right. Mm-hmm. It is the, really to see the two profoundly together. Mm-hmm. So that when we contemplate, um, sometimes people uh, don't appreciate to just what contemplation is. Mm-hmm. It is to really discover the deep causality, the deep source right. for our lives. Okay. And so in a sense, when you contemplate, mm-hmm. you're discovering the sources of action uh, so that you're, uh, in a sense, you're able to see the beauty of the, of the, of the, of the source of life. You're able to see the, the beauty of the creator. Mm-hmm. And as we contemplate the creator's beauty, there's a way in which our own lives, our own desires become more beautiful so that the, uh, and another way of talking about it, as we contemplate beauty, our hearts expand mm-hmm. and then are filled with love that overflows in action into the world. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's this uh, uh, ability to allow the heart to grow, to be filled, and then to overflow, I think that is the key uh, to the relationship between contemplation and action. Okay. So, any final thoughts, Father Gordon? Well, I think my student has uh, done very well. <laughs> Thank uh, you. And you know, I remember having <laughs> a, a professor who, who always designed his exam by mm-hmm. having the students uh, uh, formulate the questions that should be on the <laughs> exam. So, I think uh, your interview has done very well, and uh, I have uh, a very humble pride in, the, uh, in my student. Okay. Thank you so much, Father Gordon Rickson, for accepting accepting my invitation. In the next episode, we are going to talk about children and youth ministry in the church. And thank you for listening to the show Talking with Frankie. And may God bless you all. Bye-bye.